Verse 12, forgive us. 13, lead us. There's two divisions here. One of them is to God, and one of them is for us here and now. So that's, that's one observation. But as I looked at this prayer, this prayer illustrates some things. First of all, there's components to the prayer. We kind of briefly shown those there are some components the God component and our component then there's our attitude which <laughs> when we unpack this this morning I'm only going to be preaching two verses but it reveals an attitude that we should have in our prayer life thoughtfulness not just reciting our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's not supposed to be mechanical. The Gentiles do that. It's supposed to be thoughtful. However, it also involves spiritual reflection. Most of the commentaries that I read this week and some of the uh, prayers that I read this week all focused on the spiritual dimension of this prayer. And so when we think about the Lord's Prayer, we have to be extremely careful that we don't just recite it without any feeling, without any thoughts, without any spiritual reflection. Um, think of it this way. The Lord's Prayer is a model. When I was in Bible college, or not Bible college, when I was in seminary, at, uh, uh, theological seminary, in Deerfield, um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Dr. Grant Osborne taught systematic theology with the emphasis on exegesis. He gave us a model sermon. So any sermon that we gave to him and preached in class had to incorporate that model. We didn't copy his model. But we use that model to frame our sermons. Some of that I still use today. But within this model, we have individuality. And I'll, as we unpack this the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll go through and see this. So really, the Lord's Prayer is personal. It is a model which Jesus framed these are the elements that you are to use in prayer. It's not that you have to recite this. In, in, in fact, Craig Bloomberg is correct when he writes this. In light of 7 and 8, which we talked about repetitious prayer, it is highly ironic that this prayer has become repeated mechanically in many Christian traditions, accompanied by the notion that frequent repetition develops spirituality. That we simply say this prayer, I mean, my goodness, you can get this prayer on coffee mugs. You can get this prayer on emails. And, and there's nothing wrong inherently with that. But the problem comes when we think that we're being spiritual, when in fact all we are doing is what the Gentiles did. It can be said without filling. It can be said without meaning. We can recite it. And it goes to an attitude issue. He also said this, still the prayer remains an excellent model. It is a model prayer. 
these are the dimensions, these are the elements of prayer, and within this, this sandbox, if you will, these sandbox principles, and I'm not, I'm not putting down the Lord's Prayer, I'm trying to give you a visual image. Within this sandbox, you have the ability to say an individual prayer to God. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. That the Lord's Prayer is much more than, than, than just reciting it and saying it. In fact, the Pharisees were probably flipping out when he mentioned something in here. It's a model. It is equally ironic that other Christian traditions have carefully avoided its use or citation. For the very fact that they don't want to be accused of simply saying it. So what are we taught here? It should be obvious right up front, first of all, that we exalt God. And Jesus mentions the Father. That's the fill in the blank. We exalt God. And notice Jesus says, Our Father, Pater. Pater is the word for Father, but it is the Aramaic word is Abba. And the Aramaic word means Daddy. Unheard of. Unheard of in the first century Christian church. It was unheard of in the, in the first century. In fact, when you go back and you look at the Old Testament, do you know how many times God is mentioned as Father? Nine times. Six of those are debatable when it comes to the nation of Israel. Three, three times God is mentioned as Father. That is in Jeremiah 31.9. That is in Isaiah 63, 16, and that is Isaiah 64, 8. The Pharisees were there going, how can he call God the Father? And yet Jesus says, our Father, our Abba Father, our Daddy. Jesus is telling us immediately, right up front, that this is a personal issue that we have the right to call God our Father, Pater. They couldn't believe. I, I, I really think when, when the Pharisees thought about Theos, Theos is the word for God, and Jesus tells them, you can call him Daddy. Short-circuited their theological process. You do realize that when you come to God, you are coming to a father. The image is powerful. Here you have a father and his son. A father loves his son. A father cares for his son. A father is concerned for his son. A father protects his son. That is the element that Jesus is talking about. He is saying, Father, Father. That shows a close relationship, a personal relationship. It's not some transcendent God that we cannot reach, that cannot understand us, that is so far removed that we have no contact with him. Jesus is establishing it right here, our Father. 
Well, that gives you maybe a different angle at this. John Stott wrote this. One of the reasons for rejecting the attempts of the modern theologians to reconstruct the doctrine of God, which they are doing, is that they depersonalize him. Spirit comes in whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He is not an ogre who terrifies us with cruelty, but himself fulfills the ideals of fatherhood in his loving care for his children. Let me, let me tell you this morning, God loves you. You are his child. And as a child, you have the opportunity to call God Daddy. Doesn't that stagger the imagination just for a moment? The God who hung the stars, the universe created, breathed in man the breath of life, this great, awesome, powerful God, we can call Daddy. No doubt Jesus spoke us in Aramaic at this point. So it would have been Daddy. That's personal. Don't ever think in your life that God is anything else removed from his personality in your life. You have a personal relation. We say it all the time, don't we? Jesus is not a religion. He's a relationship. Well, our prayers should reflect that. Daddy, our Father. And then Jesus adds this. In heaven, Gretinos. Our daddy in the spiritual domain of God. It's the unseen place. We will see it someday when we see our father face to face. I think R.T. France is correct. This address does express forcibly the tension between the disciples' attitude to God, who is at the same time in heaven, transcendent, all-powerful, the Lord of the universe, and yet our Father concerned for the needs of each disciple entering into the immediate relationship with him. God, our Father, transcendent in heaven. That's the duality of God. That's the God that we pray to. By the way, that's the God that loves you. That's the God that loves me. You ready for another short circuit? Let's look at his name. Jesus says, Hallow be your name. Hagiazo. And this word hallowed should this this will give us a little picture of why we shouldn't say this if we don't mean it. Watch this. Hagiazo, hallowed, three different meanings. It means to make holy or to sanctify. We don't need to do that with God. He already is holy and sanctified. That could apply to us. Number two, it could mean 
dedicated to service and loyalty to God. Remember that. Remember that. That comes into play. Feel reverence or regard God, Theos, as holy and to treat as such. Your name? Onama. So, Hagiazo Onama. And that points to the direct character and nature of God. So, I like, always like keeping things simple. We have God the Father, who is in heaven. Yet, this God is also holy and exalted. Here's the thing about using the word hallowed. It is in combination with our lives. Think of it this way. If you say, hallowed be your name, and yet you live like the world, you don't really view God's name as hallowed. In fact, Peter brings it out. It is written, be holy for I am holy, 1 Peter 1.16. <laughs> So you get somebody that hasn't been to church in years claiming to be a Christian. They, just, they, they say by reciting this, um, I'm spiritual. You know, there's a, there's a lot of that stuff. People that say that they're saved, but in actuality, they're not. And even more dangerous, those who are saved that just repeat this without realizing the magnitude or the significance of what they're saying. Leviticus 11.44, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2, speak to the whole congregation of Israel and say to them, be holy for I am holy. Be holy for the I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 27, you shall consecrate yourself before, before and be holy for I am holy, says the Lord your God. So when we claim to say, hallowed be thy name, and yet we are not living in our own lives like we believe that, that becomes problematic. That is almost equated to taking the Lord's name in vain. Do you, you see this? That means that my life, now we're not going to do this perfectly. We're not going to do this perfectly. Because none of us are perfect. I get that part. But we need to be careful that when we say, hallowed be your name, that we mean it in our own hearts and lives and that we reflect that to the world. It's exactly what Jesus was saying when we say this. Yet, God is a loving God. But he also requires something of his people. Jesus will say later, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. So we need to really, our lives need to mirror this prayer. And most people, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, they have no idea really what they're saying. I, 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 know, I know what we've been taught, that, that, that you say it, 
but when you dig down into the meanings of the words, you realize that Jesus was saying that when you say this, you need to mean this. And that's a different mindset. And that's the way it should be. And then, Jesus says something else that, that may shock you, may change. I hope, this, I hope this is helping. When you come to this prayer and, and you pray it, it gives you a sandbox of how you're to address God. On one end, yes, my life should reflect it. And then secondly, and spread his kingdom. In verse 10, we read it, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Basileia. Basileia, and that has five different meanings. It can mean to give the right to rule, which God doesn't need it because he already has the right to rule. It means to become a king. It can mean to reign as a king. That's getting closer. This is interesting. This next one, I put it number four because it's getting closer to the truth. It can refer to the people of God. Your kingdom come. And it can mean a district ruled by a king. And then the word come, erkomai, means to move towards a reference point. You got it, don't you? You see it? The kingdom come is wrapped up not only in God, but in the people of God. Totally different approach now. And that word Come means go, happen, become, or result in something. So when the kingdom comes, oh, let's look at this. I wrote down some, my thoughts here. Kingdom come. Eschatological, that is the final establishment of God's reign. That's, that's when you get to the end of Revelation and you go, we win. Which we will. We will win. But in another sense, the kingdom has already come in the person of Christ. It's here now. Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God when he was born of a virgin, which we celebrate at Christmas. He grew in every way that we do except without sin and then took that sinless life and put it on the cross. So in that sense, the kingdom has already come. But how does the kingdom advance? It's grown by the people of God, therefore evangelism. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're also saying, Lord, make us evangelical. How does, I, I wrote this and then I'm going to explain it. How is God's kingdom going to come if God's people are not sharing the good news of the kingdom? Now, granted, God does not need us to grow his kingdom. He doesn't need us. He, he can let that kingdom come even in the midst of, of, of rebellion from the church who fails to witness and share the gospel. 
But God chooses to use you and me, imperfect vessels, to share the kingdom of God. This is a rather lengthy quote here, but it's worth reading. The prayer passes from personal acceptance in the heart of God's revelation of himself to to the consequent results. The clause has a much wider meaning than the development and spread of the church or even the personal return of Christ at the second advent, which we're waiting for. Come, Lord Jesus, right? I'm ready. It speaks of that which shall issue both this and that, the final and perfect establishment of God's realm. Here it is in which all men will do him willing service, that's us, and all habits and custom, customs, individual and social, will be such as he approves of. <laughs> so when we pray your kingdom come, what we're really asking God to do is to establish his reign here in the world now. And the way that he does that is through imperfect vessels like me and you. And we share the gospel. And as we share the gospel, God saves, not us, God saves them and starts building the kingdom. So when we pray your kingdom come, it is really evangel uh, e evangelical. It's really saying, I want to help you grow your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Basileia Erkomai. His will. His supremacy was in the kingdom. Now we're going to look at his will. And again, the focus today has been on your name, your kingdom, and your will. We'll get to the give us, lead us next week. Your will be done, thelema. That means purpose or intent. You've heard me say this as your pastor for 12 years, and I believe it more today than I did the first time I shared it with you. God's will is not elusive. It's not some maze we have to work through. It's not some magical formula. In fact, I wrote these out in about seven minutes. Okay, when you look at God's will, which, by the way, God's will is contained right here. Everything that is willed by God is in here. Again, you don't need a soothsayer. You don't need somebody to try to tell you this way, that way. Uh, prayer, we know that's God's will. To serve him, we know it's God's will. To give, we know it's God's will. Bible study, we know that's God's will. To love, we know that's God's will. To forgive, we know that's God's will. <sighs> I feel like Glenn, I'm starting to run out of air. <laughs> to grow deeper, to follow him. Salvation, we know those things are God's will. That is God's will. To repent of sins. By the way, Christians should do that regularly. Worship. We know. Being here. Being in your car. Being at home. We worship him. 
help others. We know that's God's will. Bear, bear burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To avoid immorality, we know that. That's perfectly God's will. To live pure lives, we just mentioned it. Hallowed be your name, Lord, because it's reflected in my life. Rest in him. By the way, sometimes you need that more often than you think, just to rest in him. Writer of Hebrews, may you find perfect rest. Because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We know that's God's will. Trust in him. We know that that's God's will. We trust in him in salvation. And as we begin to grow, we're supposed to learn to trust more and more and more. And worry less and less and less. We know that that's God's will. And we ultimately know it's God's will to glorify him. I bet you if you looked at this list, you could probably add 20 or 30 more things. Give it a, give it a few days. You could pro I just wrote these down in like seven minutes. Your will be done. We know this is God's will. And like I said, there's many others that we could use. So when he prays here to God, and by the way, he's talking to his father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek not the things of this earth, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added. Set your eyes on things above, not on things of the earth. Because see, the heavenly kingdom, what Jesus is saying, comes down in the people of God and it is lived out. We live by a different set of standards and principles. It's already being done in heaven. Now we live it out here on earth. So what we're saying is, Lord, when we pray like this, Lord, to the best of my ability and everything within me and the power of the Holy Spirit, I am going to live here on the earth like it is in heaven. That's a lot. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name because it is reflected in my life. Your kingdom come. Father, I want you to establish your kingdom here on the earth and I pray that you use me. That's the kind of sandbox. You could call him daddy and say, this is why I call you daddy. Thank you, Lord. For all that you've done for me. Thank you for your goodness. You do know God's good. Thank you for handling that situation. Two weeks ago. Thank you Lord that. You forgave my sin. Two weeks ago. That's all encompassed in the word daddy. It's, 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 it's not to be a mechanical prayer. We're to think about these elements. We're to think about the Father. What, what does it say about God being daddy? Draw me close to you, Lord. That is part of hallowing God's name. It is not just 
a mechanical prayer. It's much more than that. And I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever Jesus set off a firestorm with the Pharisees when he called God our Father. Unheard of. He's saying this God, this kingdom that's coming is not like the kingdoms of the world. This kingdom is different because you have a God that loves you and cares for you. But at the same time, the same God wants us to live for him in this dark world. John Stott says this, we are constantly under pressure to conform to self-centeredness of the secular culture. When that happens, we become concerned about our own little name, our own little empire, and our own little silly will. That's why I love John Stott. Very simple, to the point. But in the Christian counterculture, our top priority is his kingdom and his will. See, guys and gals, this life is not about us. This life is about the one who redeemed us. And therefore, part of the Christian life is coming on board with the kingdom of God and living for him in this world in such a way that people go, why are you different? There you go. That's how the kingdom grows. This is what I want to say in closing. Start spending time with God and exalting him. I'm going to encourage you to call him Daddy or Abba. Now that you know an Aramaic word, you can go home and use it. Abba, Daddy. And I would say this, when you're exalting him, let him know how much you appreciate him. Let him know how much you love him. Those of you that have family members, you tell your family members you love them. It should be as natural as breathing to tell God that we love him. We have a good God. We do. And then I would say, secondly, live holy lives before him. Be holy for I am holy. Here's another one for you this week. Wherever it is, internet, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever else they have out there. Share the gospel. You don't have to have people right in front of you to share the gospel. Share it over the internet. Do God's will daily. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, help me live according to your will. And, 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 and well, we'll get to the forgiveness next week. But help me to live out your will. Those are all important. That's what I have for today.